0: Hi, I'm Jason Nias from Digital River, an e-commerce and payments company dedicated to helping brands go global and grow their revenue. But this isn't about us. This is Commerce Connect, a podcast about people who are creating some of the best e-commerce experiences of our time. Listen on to hear from e-commerce visionaries as they look back on where they started, lessons they've learned, and what they believe will be the future of online shopping. Hi, this is Jason with Digital River, and I'm happy to welcome Jared Blank, who's the Chief Marketing Officer of North America for Vtex, a digital commerce platform for enterprise B2B and B2C e-commerce brands. Uh, Jared has a very lengthy background in both B2B and B2C. In fact, he's got a very interesting career journey we'll unpack today. Uh, He started in consulting, was a research analyst, founded a travel company, worked for a tier one uh, apparel e-commerce brand and is now the chief marketing officer for one of the fastest growing e-commerce brands in the world. Um, Jared, welcome.
1: Great to be here. Thanks.
0: Well, let's start off uh, with Vtex, a fascinating company with a global footprint. Uh, can you introduce us to your, to your employer?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So VTEX is a digital commerce platform for enterprises. We founded in Brazil about 20 years ago. Uh, we went public this year. So that's the, the first 20 years of our journey. Uh, and as I said, we're an e-commerce platform. And I think our, our biggest differentiator is that we bundle marketplace and order management in. So that's a, it's a bit of a different approach than what we see uh, from, from our competition.
0: Fantastic. And I did a little bit of an intro early on uh, on your career, but can you take us back on how uh, someone lands as a chief marketing officer for an e-commerce company? Can you take us in the Wayback Machine?
1: Yeah, there's, God, yeah, I, I've, I've wondered that question myself. How did I end up here? Uh, yeah, I think the the thing that's that, that was noteworthy at some point, maybe uh, six or seven years ago, I decided to move from the retailer side, from the client side of things, over to the software technology side. And I think that uh, tech companies are often looking for people who have actually done the job of, of, of the buyer that they're selling to. Uh, and I think what's, what's as I look back, one of the things I, I see in, in the, the handful of companies I've worked for on the tech side is they're not always clear what they should do with someone with my type of background. And that—that's not—I I don't think the onus for that is—is is on the employer. I think it's on the employee. Uh, and so uh, a few years back, uh, as I moved over to the tech side, to the software side of things, I really made a point of understanding B two B marketing. Which, funny enough, as a B two C marketing and e commerce guy, I actually knew nothing about. I had no idea until I came over here and I thought back, oh, this is why this salesperson was doing this or telling me this or asking these questions. Uh, I, I really had no, no concept. And I think that most folks who are, uh, who are buyers actually have no concept of what B2B marketing or B2B sales really is.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, let's go, one of the things I find really interesting about your background is that you did spend some time at Tommy Hilfiger. I think two different stints, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. I, I would love to learn from you a little bit about kind of the mind of the apparel brand uh, and how you th- how they think about going direct, first of all, how they think about um, going global. A lot of choices to make in that journey. Can you maybe talk a little bit about your time at Tommy Hilfiger and some of the f- decisions that you guys wrestled with while you were there?
1: Yeah, so Hilfiger, I was there twice, uh, first to run digital marketing and then went back to run e-commerce. Uh Hilfiger is a massive success story. There are not a lot of uh apparel brands that have been around as successfully as they have for 30 something years. Uh the 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 quirk about the Hilfiger business is that while it grew up as an American brand and from a brand standpoint, is sort of an American brand. Uh, it's international business is, and has been for a while, gangbusters. Uh, and so as someone running the U.S. e-commerce piece, the the challenge was how do we, in a market where we, uh, we tend to, where most of our revenue comes from the outlet side of our business, how do we build a full-price uh, brand uh, website that really tells the story of the brand in a way that, that the company would be happy with. And that's a huge challenge, a huge challenge. Your website is no different. If you're a multi-channel retailer, your website uh, or the visitors to your website have preconceived notions about your brand when they get there. And it's very hard to use the site to change that. The The site is, uh, you know, it, kind of no matter what you say on that website, the the your visitors to that site, your customers are already pretty sure what they think about you. And I think when I think back, you know, 10 years ago, there's a lot of discussion about, well, how do we use digital and the website to change people's opinions? And I just don't think certainly at the level of investment where we were, that that's a thing, that that's something you can do, that the change has to happen elsewhere. Digital can support it, or you can be digital first and you can be a digital first brand and have ownership of that channel. And obviously like an Everlane came along during that time period and or Bonobos and showed what digital first looked like. Uh, but for a brand like ours, the challenge was how do we use digital and e-commerce and, uh, in the ecosystem of Hilfiger to help tell our story in a, in a legitimate and very real way.
0: Yep. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. As I look on your LinkedIn profile, some of the history at your time at, at Hilfiger, Um you guys made a lot of transformational decisions when you were there. Um, uh, I'll the, the one I want to really drop anchor on is you guys, made a commerce platform selection or a migration, which is huge. You launched some marketplaces. Um, You guys deployed some international markets. And then obviously given your marketing background, a bunch of things as it relates to, you know, uh, capturing and and converting demand. But going back to the first topic around e-commerce platform selection, what did you learn in that journey and that you kind of took with you to VTEx around you know things that are critical that have to get right, things you want to have control of as the brand. Can you spend some time unpacking that for me?
1: Yeah. Replatforming is really, really hard. Really hard. It is disruptive in a way that if you haven't gone through it before, you cannot anticipate. It is enormously disruptive to your business. And if you're going to spend Six to 12 months replatforming, it probably means you're not doing anything else. And then at the end of it, when you're done and you want to go to your CFO and then ask for additional investment the next year, you may hear, but didn't we just invest a whole bunch last year in the replatforming? And you will say, no, the replatforming just made it easier for us to do things this year. It didn't get us anything new it was, we had to do it. So we were on a platform that was being sunsetted. And I, when I give presentations about that whole project, I always say only re-platform if you can't, if you can't execute the strategies you have in mind. So you don't do it because things will be a little bit easier. Uh, the thing, uh, everyone compl- <laughs> lots of people complain about their platforms, right? Because it's complex. So it's a complex piece of software, but Oftentimes, the people who are actually in it every day, it may be complex, but they know how to use it. They know the shortcuts. They've set it up the way that works for them. And so, you know, a new vendor may come in and say, oh, why did you do all these hacks? And why do you have it set up? And it's, there's so many easier ways to do it. And that's true unless you're the person doing it every day. And then, like, you know how to use it. And I, I always give this example. Google Docs is, I'm making air quotes, better than Microsoft Word. It's really easy, like third graders can pick it up and start typing. But if you're an expert in Microsoft Word and you know all the shortcuts and keystrokes, then Google Docs is a bummer and that's right google Doc, and it's similar when you when you replatform that at the end of it you're the people on your team who use it every day may say why did i just go through this nine months when everything is actually much harder and it won't be much harder a year later but it is at first so i think what i've brought here and what i talk a lot about is we i don't ever want us to come across and say oh we'll make it easy for you to replatform like that's that's just not true we can give you ex- we can provide expertise about how to get the most out of this about uh, the cultural piece about how the change management how do you get people on board with it the amazing things you're going to be able to do now that you have this new functionality what's the order in which you launch the new functionality best practices we can do all of that but i think it is uh, it is not giving credit to the challenge your team will have on the e-commerce side if we go in and say, oh, this will be, this will make this painless. The ways it's, we as the software vendor cannot really understand the way it's going to be painful for the person managing that e-commerce team.
0: I think there's an authenticity to what you're saying, which I think when when you're in the room with brands, they'll really appreciate You're not telling them that Vtex will, uh, this is going to be easy. Your, your story is it's going to be worth it. And, and the change yeah. management that you that you got to go through together uh, and through your partner system integrators is, is going to result in a more efficient product that has more utility. So let, let's unpack some of that utility. Well, how, what's the message that you give, Jared, to, to brands that want to adopt or are thinking about changing e-commerce platform? What's the return on aggravation? of switching to Vtex off of something that's established
1: well I think people have different reasons why they're going to replatform uh, and so may- maybe they're there on a platform that is being sunset and so the the question is do we continue to invest in this product where we know the company itself is not investing so that that maybe that would be one set of reasons where you may just need parity but you're thinking well I just need something that will be invested in for 10 years right like that's a fair that's a fair reason to change. Uh, and a little bit like you have a 10-year-old Toyota Camry that works, but maybe, you know, the parts or whatever, it it, it, you, the, it isn't being invested in, in the way that you'd hope. And you get a new car and it's still a car, but now there's a rear camera and there's all this stuff that's new and better. And you just need to know about it and it will get you the next 10 years. So there's sort of like baseline functionality that's better. But I think the reason you would be looking at us specifically one of the big reasons is the marketplace piece is i think there's only two ways to grow your e-commerce business one is to sell more products and the second is to sell more products in more places and so the getting more the selling more products you can do through marketplace by bringing in inventory that you don't have to take ownership of which your cfo will love because it's not tying up capital sitting in your warehouse in Southern Ohio, uh, and getting your product in more places. So that's, we call that marketplace out selling your product on other marketplaces. So that there's only two ways. That's it. The other ways are, you know, to spend a ton of money on customer acquisition. We have learned repeatedly. That is not, that is not a long-term strategy. The strategies are get more products on your website and sell and sell your products in more places. That's it. Yep. That's it.
0: Yeah. You know, I, uh, for company people who follow Vtex, they probably already know this, but for folks who don't on our, listening to our podcast, uh, oh, you guys just announced something um, with AWS called Launchpad. And, and I think it kind of goes to some of the earlier conversation around change management. Um, you guys are talking to some of the largest CPG brands and other categories around how they can create new channels in going direct and, you know, they're, uh, if I'm, I'm going to put a little bit of words in their mouths and maybe it's not accurate, but they want the simplicity of Shopify, but the enterprise, uti- but they have higher expectations for enterprise utility that they expect. And I think VTACs with your Launchpad product really scratches some of that itch. Can you maybe introduce the audience to what D2C Launchpad is and some of its kind of critical utility that it provides? Yeah,
1: forward. For CPGs that are looking to sell direct, especially if they're looking to do multiple countries, multiple languages, uh, when you add, as you just said, perhaps better than I could have, <laughs> the kind of the enterprise level complexity. The relationship that we have with through the integration with Amazon will allow them to create a flexible front end uh, and an experience that will uh, that will match the story they're trying to tell, sort of, you know, that's what Headless can do, uh, with all of the amazing uh, fulfillment, payment, customer service that Amazon offers. It, 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 I think we've been talking for a really long time about how CPGs can sell their products directly. And for most companies, it's just not in their DNA. We, all, we saw this at Hilfiger, that Hilfiger was not really a direct to consumer company, even before we use those terms, a retailer. Uh, they, they were a wholesaler, that was, that was most of their business. And for many, 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 many years, there was just a level of discomfort internally And I think CPG companies continue to have that conversation. It is uncomfortable because they've built their business uh, off of retail partnerships. And so there is a conversation you need to have internally about how can we get comfortable about this and how do we include retailers in this? Uh, You may want to sell direct, but fulfill through your retailer partners. Like that's That's a way to do this where you're avoiding some of that channel conflict. It's a complex, it's complex. And I often read online, uh, you know, pieces where companies or individuals are sort of suggesting like, why don't people just, why don't companies like this? Why don't consumer products companies just sell directly? Just do it. It's so easy. You stand up a site and you sell it, but it's not. And now we've, we've touched on a couple of times, sort of this, the cultural piece and the change management piece, but it's very, very real. Like that that is a that is an enormous hurdle. The technology is far more flexible than your culture is. Uh, and I think you know it took a while to get to that point, but that's where we are. And it's, it's really hard to overcome the cultural barriers of, of changing the strategy for how you go to market.
0: D2c uh specifically is, you know, you you guys are trying to make it really easy and really you're giving agility in e-commerce to brands who don't really know how to behave in a D2C context. And so you said it really well around this wholesale uh, piece. You know, you take a brand that does $10 billion a year in toilet paper or cosmetics or whatever the category is. And you say, hey, listen, we want to help you do a D2C Uh, channel. Well, let's just say it's wildly successful and selling a hundred million dollars online. Well, a hundred million out of 10 billion is 0.1% of your company's (laughs) revenue. So think about spinning up a whole bunch of unique capabilities, processes, vendors to serve a channel that's 0.1%. It's it's just a, it's a foreign behavior to someone who lives their lives in wholesale. And so, you know, I was really excited to to see D2C Launchpad. We're actually uh, going to be a part of that in some way, shape, or form around these brands who go international. And so, I'm I'm really encouraged by what you put in the market.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's really exciting. I, I think it takes some of the friction out of building the full end to end solution, which I think is daunting. Correctly seems daunting once you start to dig into this. And if you were, let's say you work for CPG and you're someone who works either in the innovation team, or maybe they hired a chief digital officer and you're going to try and get budget. And when you present all of the things that, if you're going to do this alone, that are required to build out an end-to-end solution, to your point, in the end, you might say, well, yeah, year one, if we do great, it'll be $25 million and I've hired 75 people and we have a warehouse that we didn't have before and you can't use the distribution center that we use for wholesale because you're shipping you know, a four pack of toilet paper and that's not what... And once you go through all of that, it's, it's a tough sell and completely understandable why you get pushback on that when it's so small. The hope with Launchpad is that you know, we can package up a full solution for you that'll allow you to do this quickly with minimal investment and, and try on a smaller scale, up on a smaller investment scale to prove out your case for how this can work for, for your company.
0: Yep. And, and it actually allows CPG brands, Now I'm speaking in generalities, to have a, a, an innovation lab effectively spin it up, try it. If it works great, do more of it. And if it doesn't, the investment, the cost to fail is relatively low. And that's something that I think is really going to resonate with the CPG brands, which is if this doesn't work, then shut it down, do something else. And I think VPEX and your product is really nicely aligned to that.
1: Yeah. I mean, part of innovation, it's not innovative if it always works, right? Then you're not trying hard enough. It has to fail. And building in Uh, conversations about failure is a really important piece of this, because if the innovation team is afraid to share failure or feels like when they do try things and it fails, if it's frowned upon or mocked or there's underhanded comments about it, then that's going to be the end of it. Then you're not going to try. Then you don't need an innovation team. Then you're going to have a regular team (laughs) because the regular team is going to try things that are not particularly out there are innovative. This is the whole point to try and take, is there a way we can jump four steps ahead? And when you do that, sometimes you trip and you fall. Then you like you said, you go back to, you go back to score one.
0: Yep. And you know, just, I'm very intimate with the program. And so you guys have removed a lot of those capital investment requirements. You guys have, have streamlined the process to launch. You're using inventory where it already exists. So you're really de-risking brands from innovation, which is really quite powerful.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that is the biggest hurdle to innovation is the risk. And if we can de-risk it, I think the inventory is like a great, a great call out there that you don't have to build out your own DC or your own order management software. Uh, you don't have to ship, uh, you know, direct to consumer these sort of, you know, like the four packet toilet paper yourself, uh, where you may not have. Any of the facilities to do that, or or any knowledge about how to set that up in an optimal way. All of that, have payments that uh, taking payments from people that you know, which is something you may not have done before. And how do you account for that? And how does it fit into your your uh, your uh, ERP system and accounting system? There's so much to it. De-risking all of that piece so you can figure out and focus on the customer acquisition piece, which I think you would be uniquely qualified to do uh that that's where you should be focused how do we get people aware of this new program so they can buy their own toilet paper
0: there you go <laughs> all right let's shift gears a little off of the the v2c launchpad product and, and talk a little bit more about apparel and i really love your background and i and i really es- especially like the fact that vtex has some tier one brands like levi's vans adidas maybe some others i'm not even aware of uh help me think through given your background the role of D2C, the role of e-commerce in apparel. How do, how do these brands think about kind of creating a, a role and a purpose for the website and and making sure that it's accretive to the strategy and not just a place to get cheaper products or when you sell direct or just, just, you know, it doesn't exist only to get better margins. It has a role. So have you ever, are you ever in the boardroom talking about the role of D2C uh, as it relates to apparel,
1: yeah, I think that d2 c we 've made lots of mistakes over the years in direct to consumer and apparel and accessories that we, in the earlier days, uh, you did a lot of discounting online to try and drive that channel because the CEO may be going to the board or the board may be going to the CEO and saying you know oh such and such a company is growing their online business. We need to grow it. And frankly, the easiest way to grow it is by discounting. But uh, that's not a long-term strategy. And I, I give a company like Tapestry, which owns Coach, a lot of credit. Five, six, seven years ago, they said, enough is enough. We are going to stop the nonsense. We are not going to dump cheap product into this channel just to drive revenues. We're going to take a hit. It's going to be very painful. And they pulled off the Band-Aid and it made it allowed them, which is, you know, Coach has been around I don't think it's 100 years, but it's close to it now. Uh, a, a brand that's a, that's a heritage brand like that, it's, it's set themselves up to be successful over the next 10, 10, 20 years. So I think brands had to have, answer the question you just brought up, which is, well, then why do we have this? And I think there's two reasons. Uh, one is to offer a broader, especially on the apparel side, a broader range of sizes, broader range of colorways that wouldn't make sense when you're limited in a physical space, but do make sense online. And secondly, and this is where I think brands have fallen down, uh, the Amazon model, which is kill them with customer service and do what you say you're going to do. And Amazon changed the rules. And seven, eight years ago, everyone in the apparel world said, no one will buy clothing from Amazon. Uh, it's a terrible experience. It looks awful. Look at those web pages, and you can't have a. Land a product detail page that looks the same for the four pack of toilet paper as it does for a $300 cashmere sweater. But it turns out you can when it will show up guaranteed the next day for free and they will take it back uh, without you having to rebox it and you you know And I think where where uh, where apparel businesses have started to rethink, and it's a mixed bag is okay, if we're going to have this online, This online business, yes, a pretty homepage matters. And yes, assortment certainly matters. But what really matters is providing the level of service that's shipping, that's customer service, that's returns, especially in that world, uh, that parallels what Amazon is doing. Because if not, people will just go to Amazon. Most companies do not have a product special enough, with an exception, to to keep Amazon out of people's minds. And so, yeah, if you sell a basic sweater, a blue sweater, a V-neck, Amazon has a lot of blue cotton V necks, so sweaters, right? And so uh, the J Crews and Gaps of the world really have to rethink their business, uh, not just to offer selection at a price point, but also the customer service, because the online shopper knows what that uh, experience should be like.
0: Absolutely, and one one of the keys now. I'm going to ask you to shift back into the technology world, and, and one of the keys to a great customer experience is great order management. Now, customers won't understand that parlance, but certainly technology people will. Can you unpack what order management means and how it is there to really help deliver a great experience, especially in the context of what Vtex does for order management?
1: Yeah, order management is the magic behind uh, where you're, essentially what product is where, and that where it should be shipped to you from. So at the most basic level, order management matters if you are shipping I mean, it always matters you need it as a tool, but it really matters uh, when you're shipping from more than one location. So if all of your blue v-neck sweaters and toilet paper are in Southwest Ohio in one distribution center, it doesn't matter much. It matters a lot if you decide you want to ship from store and I am buying something from Knoxville, Tennessee, and you see that the sweater is available from the store in Nashville and from the store in Seattle, routing that, or even more importantly, if you have two things in your order. And one of them is in Nashville and one of them is in Albuquerque. Figuring out what's the best way to, uh, to get the product to somebody quickly. Where is that inventory actually sitting that's closest and shippable to the customer? Order management software is the, the magic behind that very difficult challenge.
0: Got it. And so when brands wanna make sure they're delivering a really great experience, the rules of the order management system allow them to effectively ensure a great experience.
1: That the- yeah, the- right. The- so our yeah, and our our philosophy, having that order management, is bundled in with the software, which is a unique proposition with the e-commerce software. Is that the selling and the fulfillment of the order are not two different things; they're one thing, and that that's why you bundle it together. Uh, and so, yes, obviously, there's standalone order management tools out there. They do what they do. But uh, philosophically, uh, and I think we were way ahead of where the market was on this, that the, the online experience and through to the experience of delivering something to your door and then the returns piece uh, is all one experience. That's not two experiences where you have a great experience online, the product doesn't show up for 11 days. Uh, that, that's not a great experience.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, you spoke a little bit earlier about uh, there's, there's multiple ways to grow your business, adding new products or adding new markets. So let's unpack that a little bit. Um, you you kind of talked about new markets in the context of marketplaces, which is which is vast, super valuable, and it's a reason people select VTex. But let's talk about international as well. What are you guys seeing when, when brands, you know when you I know that you've got a great customer success function at VTex, and when you guys are helping strategize around how you're going to help grow businesses, how does international come into play?
1: International is as much a challenge today as it was 15, 20 years ago. There's complexities to every market. There really are. There are unique complexities to every market uh, that make it Incredibly challenging. I mean, our pitch is especially in Latin America, which is a market we know deeply. The payment systems and the uh, the how buy online and pick up in store works there. Uh, the the duties and customs and taxes is really challenging. And I think for every business, it's really not an easy decision about how do you handle that. Do you ship out of the U.S to uh, to your international markets? Do you ship from international markets to the US where there can be gray market opportunities? Do you allow that to happen? Uh, there are third parties that will allow people in international markets to buy through them. They will collect everything in a warehouse in Miami and then ship it down to, to Latin America or wherever. There's a lot of complexity to international. Uh, and I, I wish I had like one singular answer, but it feels like it's there's... 100 different ways it can work. And even for the brands themselves, you may decide, oh, we're going to go into a new market through a joint venture, or maybe through a licensing arrangement, or we might buy somebody down there, or we may uh, we may just wholesale, or we may open stores, or we may just open a digital presence. There's there's a lot of, we may have a licensee already, and we may buy the license, the license back. There's so many different ways to do it. The one thing I will tell you as an as a, as a brand that's considering this, get everybody in the room. This is a, a huge decision that affects so many things uh, that as we, uh, from uh, back in my old figure days, we shipped internationally to a, a bunch of markets. Uh, we built out a, a Spanish language version of our site, a Portuguese language version of our site, so we could ship to Brazil. Uh, and then we started getting calls from our licensees in different uh, different regions asking why we were, basically gray marketing our own goods. This was many years ago. Uh, and our CEO finally stepped in and said, enough is enough of that. It, and it was it was that level of decision where it came to this, because there's a lot of back and forth. We made a bunch of revenue, right? It was a profitable business. And it was like a CEO level decision to say, okay, you know, we're going to forgo the revenue to make smarter long-term decisions, which is why you need to start by having conversations <laughs> with your C-level executives about, about this topic.
0: Yeah, I think you hit it really well there, you know, uh, p- part of the reason that Digital River is so excited to partner with Vtex is because you recognize all of the value of the different ways to go to market internationally. You've got a basic cross-border solution where the goods have to kind of ship from a United States to, say, a country in Latin America or an onshore model. Where the products are already in region and, and you're fulfilling in region, and now you have to worry about things like local acquiring, a local entity. And so that's that's the connection between what you guys do and the digital river value prop is you know, we help brands execute a portion of their local strategy uh, as it relates to direct. So, Jared, one, one of the things I'm also quite interested about, you know, being the platform provider. Uh, what are some of the interesting use cases that people are trying to solve when they come to you guys? You know, Things that come to mind might be subscriptions for physical products. It might be new marketplaces they want to add. Um, any sort of kind of unique things that are kind of coming across that you can be a canary in a coal mine for us? I think
1: we're seeing a lot of manufacturers' We talked a little bit about uh, CPG companies uh, going direct to consumer. We're seeing manufacturers thinking about this a lot, and because manufacturers, you know, even industrial manufacturers, you know, are, are very accustomed to working with distributors and having deep relationships there, but they also really want to understand their customer better, and understanding, being able to take the order, so bringing someone to your website, and instead of saying, "Oh, here's a store locator." good luck, go to Home Depot or wherever, uh, to be able to say, oh, we'll, we'll take the order here and it will be fulfilled through one of our distribution partners, what we often call b 2 b to c which is a mouthful and I wish there were a better term for it. Uh, that is... We get a lot of questions about that because I think there's so much value in that customer data and manufacturers are recognizing, oh, if I just knew what people were buying, that would help me in a whole bunch of ways. But I also rely on my retail partners or my distribution partners, and I don't want to cut them out of the equation. This kind of B2B2C model where they take the order and then it's passed through to be fulfilled by a partner is really intriguing. And we have a lot of conversations about that, that I think, you know. I've been doing this a while, and I feel like 20 years ago, we were talking about, oh, B2B going direct B2B marketplaces. These conversations have been happening for a while. I think the technology took a while to catch up, but I think this concept of, oh, you can take the order and just fulfill it so your distribution partner doesn't get cut out of the equation is a really interesting one.
0: The most under-talked about thing is is really B2B. I mean, people talk about it as this big, enormous market, but then they kind of, never lives up to the hype, I guess. So I would love for you to unpack a little bit more about some of the workflows or some of the use cases in B2B that you guys might be seeing. Is there is there special capabilities that Vtex has that really separates you in B2B? We
1: the b to b to C piece of it you know which is actually it's based on the market the marketplace functionality is, is the reason we're able to do it that piece of it the being able to take the order and fulfill it through somebody else seamlessly through that marketplace functionality is a unique selling point for us and, and I think that's why we're having a lot of these conversations because I, I think for years the concept was oh well these B2B manufacturers should definitely just be able to sell themselves and fulfill themselves. But I'm not I'm not sure that's a realistic conversation for a lot of companies. And I think they were looking for a way to sell directly while still maintaining all these channel relationships. And this, being able to incorporate the e-commerce and marketplace functionality uh, into one platform allows that to happen. And I think that was one of the missing links uh, obviously, the cultural piece is probably the second, but I think one of the, the technical missing links for why we haven't seen the traction until recently in the B2B you know, direct market world.
0: You know, I've met with many companies who are effectively uh, a little bit old school in the, in the piece of the value they drive in the transaction. And the, the kind of conventional wisdom is, well, no, you've got to put a buy button up now. And you got to start to sell, even though they don't have a brand, but they're really good at being a piece of somebody else's e-commerce experience, whether it's fulfillment or manufacturing or something. So what I'm hearing you say is your solution is a workflow that allows multiple parties to really live up to the value of the transaction versus versus forcing every single person to be a D2C retailer, even though they, you don't have that in your DNA.
1: I think that's a great way of putting it. It allows everyone in the chain to do what they do well. Uh, and I think that like the the recognizing that you're not trying to, especially in the B2B side of the things, you, you're not interested in cutting out uh, your partners, right? I, to your earlier point, you may be a multi-billion dollar retailer, and this may be a $25 million opportunity for you. But along with the data about what you learn and you've got to start somewhere, that $25 million may be really important, but it's not important enough to, to risk the multi-billion dollars. Having a technology that allows you to run your business in the way that makes sense for you and given the relationships that you have uh, is is a big change from where we were, you know, five, 10 years ago in the market.
0: Yep. Thank you for that answer, Jared. So let's transition a little bit to some of the traditions we have on this. Uh, you know, we, we like to learn a little bit about where you get your insights, how you stay abreast of what's happening in the industry. So is there someone you follow or research you read to try or, or people you talk to to try and stay current on what's happening in both B2B and B2C e-commerce? Where do you get your inspiration?
1: Uh I read so many newsletters. I think the one that I consistently think is doing a really interesting job covering this uh, 2 PM, it used to be called 2 PM links. I think now it's just called 2 PM. A guy named WebSmith Smith runs this uh, and it's a newsletter, but there's also a group and some other stuff research uh, around mostly direct to consumer retail. And I think he has a really interesting, interesting perspective on the, the the specific challenges in that world. Uh, and I feel like every Monday when I get that newsletter, it gives me something to think about for the rest of the week.
0: I also follow Webby. He talks a lot about uh, Shopify. So maybe together we can try and uh, win some influence from him and get him talking about D, uh, DR and VTechs. Uh, <laughs> I've,
1: I've emailed him repeatedly. Uh, back a couple of years ago, we had him on a panel. He's quite amazing, uh, and I'd like to like to reconnect. As I, I think, I, I think Shopify has a place in the world, but it is not the only way to solve some of the problems he talks about. Uh, and I, I I do think it's a little <laughs> do think it's a little unfair to use Shopify as a term like Kleenex, where you know it sort of represents commerce. Because I, I think, especially ten years on to the direct consumer retail uh experiment <laughs> uh, world uh, brands have moved beyond a lot of brands have moved beyond what that platform is capable of yep
0: that's right it, it is a yeah yep, yep. Uh, okay so the the last question would be, you know, if people want to get in touch with you, Jared, is there, how do you prefer they do it? Are you active on Twitter? Should they, should they send you a note on LinkedIn? What's the best way to get in touch with you?
1: Oh, you should reach me on LinkedIn or email me, jared.blank at vtex.com. I'm, I'm not a Twitterer. I'm not a tweeter.
0: <laughs> I don't even know if you said that right, but we'll let that I, You know what?
1: Neither, neither do I. I. It's funny when Facebook went down uh, in, in early October, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I was the only person on earth who was unaffected in every way. Uh, you know, it's funny being in this world and where I grew up. I, I'm like a private person. I don't know. Something about social media. It's, I feel like I consume it, but I, I'll allow other people to twit. Or whatever you guys call it. I, see.
0: I like it. I like it. Uh, well, uh, Jared Blank, Chief Marketing Officer of North America for VTechs, thank you so much for joining us. A uh, really great conversation and uh, look forward to seeing great things out of VTechs and, and the Digital River partnership in the future. So thank you, Jared. Thanks, Jason. You've been listening to the Commerce Connect podcast, brought to you by Digital River and edited at Matriarch Digital Media in Minneapolis, Minnesota. To learn more, head to digitalriver.com.